0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Dittman, Liverpool, United Kingdom. Web address mercurialspirit.co.uk Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens Chapter 43 wherein is shown how the artful Dodger got into trouble. "'And so it was you that was your own friend, was it?' asked Mr Claypole, otherwise bolter, when, by virtue of the compact entered into between them, he had removed next day to Fagin's house. "'Could I thought as much last night?' "'Every man's his own friend, my dear,' replied Fagin with his most insinuating grin. He hasn't as good a one as himself, anyway. Except sometimes, replied Morris Bolter, assuming the air of a man of the world, some people are nobody's enemies but their own, you know. Don't believe that, said Fagin. When a man's his own enemy, it's only because he's too much his own friend, not because he's careful for everybody but himself. Pooh, pooh! There ain't such a thing in nature. There ought to be, if there is," replied Mister Bolter. "That stands to reason. Some conjurers say that number three is the magic number, and some say number seven. It's neither, my friend. Neither. It's number one!" Ha ha ha!" cried Mister Bolter. "Number one forever!" It's a little community like ours, my dear," said Fagin. "'who felt it necessary to qualify this position, "'we have a general number one, "'without considering me too as the same, "'and all the other young people.' "'Oh, the devil!' exclaimed Mr Bolter. "'You see,' pursued Fagin, "'affecting to disregard this interruption, "'we are so mixed up together and identified in our interests "'that it must be so. "'For instance, it's your object to take care of number one, "'meaning yourself.' "'Certainly,' replied Mr. Bolter. "'You're about right there.' "'Well, you can't take care of yourself, number one, without taking care of me, number one.' "'Number two, you mean,' said Mr. Bolter, who was largely endowed with a quality of selfishness. "'No, I don't,' retorted Fagin. "'I'm the same importance to you as you are to yourself.' "'I say!' interrupted mr bolter you're a very nice man and i'm very fond of you but we ain't quite so thick together as all that comes to only think said fagin shrugging his shoulders and stretching out his hands you've done what's a very pretty thing and what i love you for doing but what at the same time would put the cravat around your throat that's so very easily tied and so very difficult to unloose in plain english the halter mr bolter put his hand to his neckerchief as if he felt it inconveniently tight and murmured an assent qualified in tone but not in substance the gallows continued fagin "'The gallows, my dear, is an ugly finger-post, "'which points out a very short and sharp turning "'that has stopped many a bold fellow's career on the broad highway. "'To keep in the easy road and keep it at a distance "'is object number one with you.' "'Of course it is,' replied Mr Bolter. "'What do you talk about such things for?' "'Only to show you my meaning clearly,' said the Jew." "'raising his eyebrows. "'To be able to do that, you depend upon me. "'To keep my little business all snug, I depend on you. "'The first is number one, the second my number one. "'The more you value your number one, "'the more careful you must be of mine. "'So we come at last to what I told you at first. "'The regard for number one holds us all together "'and must do so.' "'unless we would all go to pieces in company.' "'That's true,' replied Mr. Bolter thoughtfully. "'Oh, you're a canny old codger!' Mr. Fagin saw, with delight, that this tribute to his powers was no mere compliment, but that he had really impressed his recruit with a sense of his wily genius, which it was most important that he should entertain in the outset of their acquaintance. To strengthen an impression so desirable and useful, he followed up the blow by acquainting him in some detail with the magnitude and extent of his operations, blending truth and fiction together as best served his purpose, and bringing both to bear with so much art that Mr. Bolter's respect visibly increased and became tempered at the same time with a degree of wholesome fear which it was highly desirable to awaken. "'It's this mutual trust we have in each other "'that consoles me under heavy losses,' said Fagin. "'My best hand was taken from me yesterday morning.' "'You don't mean to say he died?' cried Mr Bolter. "'No, no,' replied Fagin. "'Not so bad as that. Not quite so bad.' "'What, I suppose he was—' "'Wanted,' interposed Fagin. "'Yes, he was wanted.' "'Very particular?' inquired Mr. Bolter. "'No,' replied Fagin. "'Not very.' "'He was charged with attempting to pick a pocket, and they found a silver snuff-box on him. "'His own, my dear, his own, for he took snuff himself and was very fond of it.' "'They remanded him till to-day, for they thought they knew the owner. "'Ah, he was worth fifty boxes, and I'll give the price of as many to have him back.' "'You should have known the Dodger, my dear. "'You should have known the Dodger.' "'Well, but I shall know him, I hope. "'Don't you think so?' said Mr Bolter. "'I'm doubtful about it,' replied Fagin with a sigh. "'If they don't get any fresh evidence, "'it'll only be a summary conviction, "'and we shall have him back again after six weeks or so. "'But if they do, it's a case of lagging. "'They know what a clever lad he is.' he'll be a lifer they'll make the artful nothing less than a lifer what do you mean by laggin and a lifer demanded mr Bolter. what's the good o talking in that way to me why don't you speak as i can understand you fagin was about to translate these mysterious expressions into the vulgar tongue and being interpreted mr Bolter would have been informed that they represented that combination of words transportation for life when the dialogue was cut short by the entry of master bates with his hands in his breeches pocket and a face twisted into a look of semi-comical woe it's all up faking," said charlie when he and his new companion had been made known to each other what d'ye mean they've found a gentleman as owns the box two or three more's a comin to identify him and the artful's book for a passage out, replied Master Bates. I must have a full suit of morning faking and an at band to visit him in afore he sets out on his twavels. To think of Jack Dawkins, Lamy, Jack, Jack the Dodger, the artful dodger going aboard for a common twopenny halfpenny sneeze box. I never thought he'd have done it under a gold watch chain and seals at the lowest oh why didn't he rob some witch old gentleman of all his valuables and go out as a gentleman and not like some common prig without no honour nor glory with this expression of feeling for his unfortunate friend master bates sat himself on the nearest chair with an aspect of chagrin and despondency what do you talk about his having neither honour nor glory for exclaimed fagin darting an angry look at his pupil wasn't he always the top sawyer amongst you "'Is there one of you who could touch him or come near him on any scent, eh?' "'Not one,' replied Master Bates, in a voice rendered husky by regret. "'Not one!' "'Then what do you talk of?' replied Fagin angrily. "'What are you blubbering for?' "'Cause it isn't on the record, is it?' said Charlie, chafed into perfect defiance of his venerable friend by the current of his regrets. "'cause it can't come out in the dightment, "'cause nobody will ever know Arthur of what he was. "'How will he stand in the Newgate calendar? "'Perhaps not there at all. "'Oh, my eye, my eye, what a blow it is!' "'Ha, ha, ha!' cried Fagin, extending his right hand "'and turning to Mr Bolter in a fit of chuckling, "'which shook him as though he had a palsy. "'See what a pride they take in their profession, my dear! "'Ain't it beautiful!' mr bolter nodded assent and fagin after contemplating the grief of charlie bates for some seconds with evident satisfaction stepped up to that young gentleman and patted him on the shoulder never mind charlie said fagin soothingly it'll come out it'll be sure to come out they'll all know what a clever fellow he was he'll show it himself and not disgrace his old pals and teachers think how young he is too what a distinction charlie "'to be lagged at his time o' life.' "'Well, it is an honour, that is,' said Charlie, a little consoled. "'He shall have all he wants,' continued the Jew. "'He shall be kept in stone jug, Charlie, like a gentleman, "'like a gentleman, with his beer every day "'and money in his pocket to pitch and toss with if he can't spend it.' "'Nah, shall he be, though?' cried Charlie Bates. "'Aye, that he shall,' replied Fagin.' and we'll ave a bigwig charlie one that's got the greatest gift of the gab to carry on his defence and he shall make a speech for himself too if he likes and we'll read it all in the papers Awful, Dodger! shrieks and laughter ere the court was convulsed eh hey, charlie eh hey. <laughs> 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 laughed master bates what a lot that would be wouldn't it fagin i say at the would we'll bother him, wouldn't he would cried fagin he shall he will ah to be sure so he will repeated charlie rubbing his hands i think i see him now cried the jew bending his eyes upon his pupil so do i cried Charlie bates <laughs> so do i i see it all afore me pon my soul i do fagin what a game what a regular game all the big wigs trying to look solemn and jack dawkins addressing them as intimate and comfortable as if he was the judge's own son making a speech art Ha dinner <laughs> in fact mr fagin had so well humoured his young friend's eccentric disposition that master bates who had at first disposed to consider the imprisoned dodger rather in the light of a victim now looked upon him as the chief actor in a scene of most common and exquisite humour and felt quite impatient for the arrival of the time when his old companion should have so favourable an opportunity of displaying his abilities we must know how he gets on to-day by some handy means or other said fagin let me think shall i go asked Charlie. Not for the world, replied Fagin. Are you mad, my dear? Start mad that you'd walk into the very place where... No, Charlie, no. One is enough to lose at a time. You don't mean to go yourself, I suppose, said Charlie with a humorous leer. That wouldn't quite fit, replied Fagin, shaking his head. Then why don't you send this you cove, asked Master Bates, laying his hands on Noah's arm. "'Nobody knows him.' "'Why, if he didn't mind,' observed Fagin. "'Mind?' interposed Charlie. "'What should he have to mind?' "'Really nothing, my dear,' said Fagin, turning to Mr. Bolter. "'Really nothing.' "'Oh, I dare say about that, you know,' observed Noah, backing towards the door and shaking his head with a kind of sober alarm. "'No, no, 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 none of that. "'It's not in my department, that ain't.' What department has he got? Fagin inquired. Master Bates surveying Noah's lank form with much disgust. They're cutting away when there's anything wrong, and eating all the wills when there's everything right. Is that his branch? Never mind, retorted Mister Bolter. And don't yer take liberties with yer superiors, little boy, or you'll find yourself in the wrong shop master bates laughed so vehemently at this magnificent threat that it was some time before fagin could interpose and represent mr bolter that he incurred no possible danger in visiting the police office that inasmuch as no account of the little affair in which he had engaged nor any description of his person had yet been forwarded to the metropolis it was very probable that he was not even suspected of having resorted to it for shelter and that, if he were properly disguised, it would be a safer spot for him to visit as any in London, inasmuch as it would be, of all places, the very last to which he could be supposed likely to resort of his own free will. Persuaded in part by these representations, but overborne in a much greater degree by his fear of Fagin, Mr. Bolter at length consented, with a very bad grace, to undertake the expedition. By Fagin's directions, he immediately substituted for his own attire a wagoner's frock, velveteen breeches, and leather leggings, all of which articles the Jew had at hand. He was likewise furnished with a felt hat, well garnished with turnpike tickets, and a carter's whip. Thus equipped, he was to saunter into the office as some country fellow from Covent Garden Market might be supposed to do for the gratification of his curiosity, and as he was as awkward, ungainly, and raw-boned a fellow as need be, Mr. Fagin had no fear but that he would look the part to perfection. These arrangements completed, he was informed of the necessary signs and tokens by which to recognize the artful dodger, and was conveyed by Master Bates through dark and winding ways to within a very short distance of Bow Street. Having described the precise situation of the office and accompanied it with copious directions how he was to walk straight up the passage and when he got into the side and pull off his hat as he went into the room, Charlie Bates made him hurry on alone and promised to bide his return on the spot of their parting. Noah Claypole, or morris bolter as the reader pleases punctually followed the directions he had received which master bates being pretty well acquainted with the locality were so exact that he was enabled to gain the magisterial presence without asking any questions or meeting with any interruption by the way he found himself jostled among a crowd of people chiefly women who were huddled together in a dirty frowsy room at the upper end of which was a raised platform railed off from the rest, with a dock for the prisoners on the left hand against the wall, a box for the witnesses in the middle, and a desk for the magistrates on the right, the awful locality last named, being screened off by a partition which concealed the bench from the common gaze, and left the vulgar to imagine, if they could, the full majesty of justice. There were only a couple of women in the dock who were nodding to their admiring friends while the clerk read some depositions to a couple of policemen and a man in plain clothes who leant over the table. A jailer stood reclining against the dock rail tapping his nose listlessly with a large key except when he repressed an undue tendency to conversation among the idlers by proclaiming silence or looking sternly up to bid some woman take that baby out, when the gravity of justice was disturbed by feeble cries half-smothered in the mother's shawl from some meagre infant. The room smelt close and unwholesome, the walls were dirt discoloured, and the ceiling blackened. There was an old smoky bust over the mantel-shelf, and a dusty clock above the dock, the only thing present that seemed to go on as it ought for depravity or poverty, or an habitual acquaintance with both, had left a taint on all the animate matter, hardly less unpleasant than the thick greasy scum on every inanimate object that frowned upon it. Noah looked eagerly about him for the dodger, but although there were several women who would have done very well for that distinguished character's mother or sister, and more than one man who might be supposed to bear a strong resemblance to his father, nobody at all answering the description given him of Mr. Dawkins was to be seen. He waited in a state of much suspense and uncertainty until the women, being committed for trial, went flaunting out, and then was quickly relieved by the appearance of another prisoner who he felt at once could be no other than the object of his visit. It was indeed Mr. Dawkins, who, shuffling into the office with the big coat-sleeves tucked up as usual, his left hand in his pocket, and his hat in his right hand, preceded the jailer, with a rolling gait altogether indescribable, and, taking his place in the dock, requested in an audible voice to know what he was placed in that ere disgraceful sitivation for hold your tongue will you said the jailer i'm an englishman ain't i rejoined the dodger where are me privileges you'll get your privileges soon enough retorted the jailer and pepper with em we'll see what the secretary of state for the home affairs has got to say to the beaks if i don't replied mr dawkins now then what is this here business i shall thank the magistrates to dispose of this here little affair and not to keep me while they read the paper. For I've got an appointment with a gentleman in a city. And as I'm a man of my word and very punctual in business matters, he'll go away if I ain't there to my time. And then perhaps there won't be an action for damage against them as kept me away. Oh no, certainly not. At this point, the Dodger, with a show of being very particular, with a view to proceedings to be had thereafter desired the jailer to communicate the names of them two files as was on the bench which so tickled the spectators that they laughed almost as heartily as master bates could have done if he had heard the request silence there cried the jailer what is it inquired one of the magistrates a pickpocketing case your worship Has the boy ever been here before? He ought to have been a many time, replied the jailer. He has been pretty well everywhere else. I know him well, your worship. Oh, you know me, do you? cried the artful, making a note of the statement. Well, we good. That's a case of defamation of character anyway. Here there was another laugh and another cry of silence. Now then, where are the witnesses? said the clerk. "Ah, that's right added the dodger where are they i should like to see em this wish was immediately gratified for a policeman stepped forward who had seen the prisoner attempt the pocket of an unknown gentleman in a crowd and indeed to take a handkerchief therefrom which being a very old one he deliberately put back again after trying it on his own countenance for this reason he took the dodger into custody as soon as he could get near him and the said dodger, being searched, had upon his person a silver snuff-box, with the owner's name engraved upon the lid. This gentleman had been discovered on reference to the court guide, and being then and there present, swore that the snuff-box was his, and that he had missed it on the previous day, the moment he had disengaged himself from the crowd before referred to. He had also remarked a young gentleman in the throng, "'particularly active in making his way about, "'and that young gentleman was the prisoner before him. "'Have you anything to ask this witness?' said the magistrate. "'I wouldn't abuse myself by descending to hold no conversation with him,' "'replied the dodger. "'Have you anything to say at all?' "'Do you hear his worship ask if you have anything to say?' inquired the jailer, "'nudging the silent dodger with his elbow. "'I beg your pardon?' said the dodger looking up with an air of abstraction did you redress yourself to me me man i never see such an out-and-out young vagabond your worship observed the officer with a grin do you mean to say anything you young shaver no replied the dodger not here for this ain't the shop for justice besides which my attorney is a breakfast in this morning with the vice-president of the house of commons but I shall have something to say elsewhere, and so will he, and so will a wery numerous and spectacled circle of acquaintances as'll make them beaks wish they never had been born, or that they'd got their footmen to hang em up to their own at pegs afore they let em come out this morning to try it on with me. I'll there. He's fully committed, interposed the clerk. Take him away. Come on, said the gaoler. Oh, ah, uh, will oh, come on, replied the Dodger brushing his hat with the palm of his hand. Ah uh, to the branch. It's no use your looking frightened. I won't show you no mercy, not apeth of it. You'll pay for this, my fine fellas. I won't be you for something. I wouldn't go free now if you were all to fall down on your knees and ask me. Here, carry me off to prison. Take me away With these last words the Dodger suffered himself to be led off by the collar, threatening till he got to the yard, to make a parliamentary business of it, and then grinning in the officer's face, with great glee and self-approval. Having seen him locked up by himself in a little cell, Noah made the best of his way back to where he had left Master Bates. After waiting here some time, he was joined by that young gentleman, who had prudently abstained from showing himself, until he had looked carefully abroad from a snug retreat and ascertained that his new friend had not been followed by any impertinent person. The two hastened back together to bear to Mr Fagin the animating news that the Dodger was doing full justice to his bringing up, and establishing for himself a glorious reputation. End of chapter 43